Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, July 24th, 2021. Well, one phrase you might hear at my house on a Saturday morning is, don't copy me. And you'd probably hear that spoken from one of my children to another one of my children. And more than them saying it to each other, that's a rule we have in, in our house for our kids. Hey, you, you shouldn't just copy uh, your sibling and start to mimic everything that they say and everything that they do because that can be annoying. That's that's not very considerate or kind or loving uh, way to act towards your siblings. And if you've got kids, maybe you experience that or you see that frustration or when they just start copying you, you know that there are some situations in which, you know, being a copycat is not a good thing. But then there are other situations where imitation can be a good thing. Uh, We've all heard the statement that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Right. And my, my kids aren't feeling that when they're copying each other. But there's other people where if you try to uh, emulate their life, uh, that's an honoring thing. Well, today we want to look at the ultimate example of imitation in a good way, a way we as people should be trying to imitate someone else. And that is really being imitators of God. And so let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, and today we're going to look at the first 14 chapters. Ephesians 5, or 1 through 14. I should have said first 14 verses. Um, if you got scared, we're looking at 14 chapters today. No, 14 verses here in Ephesians chapter 5. And it starts right there with this command, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So even there, that that gives that idea um, of beloved children, right? There's some ways when my kids start imitating each other and just copying, uh, you know, that's very annoying. But there are some times when my kids, they want to try to imitate me, you know, and maybe they'll put on my shoes or they'll want to do their hair like daddy does or, or something like that. They'll want to imitate me and that, well, that's pretty cute, actually. Uh, that's one of those things that as a parent kind of makes your heart uh, kind of get warm and maybe, you know, a little moisture starts to collect in your eyes, right? Because you're like, man, that that's that's cute that my kids want to be like me. Well, in the best father is God. And we as his children, just like maybe you as a child, there were some ways you wanted to imitate your father. We should want to imitate our heavenly father. And this is kind of the idea with verse four or chapter four, you know, this, our sentence today begins with, therefore be imitators of God. Well, that's because right before this, it was talking about putting off and and putting on. That as Christians, we are not saved by our works, but now we've been set free from sin. We've been made alive together with Christ. And, and so we want to live that out. And so we want to put off our old ways when we were dead in our sins and slaves to our flesh and just caught up in the current of the culture and the world. And we want to put on Christ and we want to live like him. And he's given some specifics, but now I think he comes back kind of a more of a general statement saying, hey, imitate God. 
And how do we do that? The first thing that he says is, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So do you want to be like God? Well, the first thing that it's telling you to do here to live that out is walking in love. And I think there's a similarity here to the beginning of chapter five and the beginning of chapter four that we read a couple days ago. Beginning of chapter four says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, and here it's not to imitate God, but a similar idea, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And what does that look like? Well, then it goes into with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so there we see in both places, when it's whether it's talking about walking in a manner worthy or imitating God, it really wants to focus on this idea of, hey, that's going to affect how we treat each other. We need to walk in love, and that's going to involve us sacrificing for others. We need to walk in humility and be patient and gentle and bear with one another in love. If you want to be like God, start with thinking about how you treat other people, and we need to prayerfully examine ourselves in that. But then it moves on to something else, right? We're supposed to walk in love and have a, a selflessness and a, a patience towards one another. And even one of the last things we read at the end of chapter four is forgiving each other as Christ forgave you. Um, but then it gets into something very serious in verse three. It says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper f- among saints. So, and then it kind of goes into this long section really about sexual immorality and things connected with that, whether it's even talking about that or joking about that, all of that needs to be put away. And it speaks there in very strong terms. And this is another check as people that are called to imitate God. Um, well, we live in a culture that's very selfish. So we're going to have to swim against the current to be loving. We also live in a culture that is very impure. There is sexual immorality everywhere. It is celebrated. It is expected. And we need to live differently. And so that's another thing. We need to check our own hearts. You know, well, first and foremost, am I doing anything that is impure? Are there any impure actions in my life? Uh, Are there impure thoughts in my mind? But then kind of moving on, even am I starting to, and maybe it's through what you watch as entertainment or what you talk about with other people. Am I letting kind of impure things creep kind of before my eyes in ways that aren't healthy or into my words in ways that aren't healthy? And we need to examine ourselves on that front as well. And even as we think about the two of these things, I think we start to get a little bit of a picture even of how life together as Christians should work. Uh, when you think about church and even what we read in chapter four, we want to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, there clearly is a balance there, right? Especially when you have a community of people that are still sinners, right? None of us are perfect. Well, how do we navigate 
We need to walk in holiness and not let sin be acceptable. Uh, But at the same time, we need to walk in love. And that's going to involve even gentleness, patience, and forgiveness and kind of enduring uh, wrong treatment from others. How does that go together? Well, I think what we're seeing here in Ephesians actually gives us some insight into that. Where I think when you think about even church and how should we handle sin within the church? Well, one thing is we're all growing even when it comes to dealing with other people. And so when we're talking about things that are kind of just maybe personal weaknesses that we might have or ways we still need to grow or become more aware in how we treat people, that's when I really think we need to approach that with love and patience and gentleness and kind of realize it's going to take some time even for people to grow through these things. So, um, you know, when somebody's just not very aware of how they come across to people are rude, well, let's not talk about church discipline there. Let's just lovingly address that and even give people time to grow through those things. Uh, and, And that's how we can maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. But on the other hand, you've got things like clear sexual sin. And the language that's used here is, I mean, I think is very clear to show us, hey, this is something that has no place among God's people. And so when there's somebody in the church that's living in clear sexual sin, sure, you, you want to approach them in love and with gentleness for sure. But there is a much more of a, hey, th- this is going to go one of two ways. And this sin either needs to, to stop or th- th- this can't be allowed to continue within the church. So even as we consider some of these things, I think there's some application just as we think about life together in the church. And so just again, wrapping up with this, how are you doing at loving other people? Or even considering some of the things that we have in chapter four, is there somebody that you just need to forgive? Is there somebody that you just need to be patient with as, as they grow more in godliness? Uh, but then also, hey, is there, uh, is there any sexual sin in your life? that needs to be confessed, forsaken, and dealt with? Or even is there something you know with somebody else that that you need to talk to that person and and not just let this go on unaddressed? Uh, This is a a serious thing. And we we do this because we want to be copycats. We want to be imitators of our heavenly father. And we spent a lot of time this morning in Ephesians. So let's move quickly through the other passages. Let's go now to 2 Chronicles 10 through 12. And here we see a group of people pursuing godliness. We see some good things happen, but it's all short-lived. Well, one interesting thing that happens is, uh, remember, 2 Chronicles, and now this is where this really comes into focus. It only focuses on the southern kingdom of Judah. First and Second Kings kept bouncing back and forth. First Chronicles is just going to focus on the southern kingdom of Judah and the descendants of David. And the first son of Solomon is king here is Rehoboam. And he does something foolish. He doesn't listen to the wise counsel. And so the northern tribes leave. And then we know what happens with them. Jeroboam, he sets up the golden calves and that's not good, but it doesn't address all of that here. But one thing that we see here that we didn't see in Kings is The priests and Levites that lived in the northern kingdom that were basically rejected, they start coming to the south and saying, hey, if this isn't right and if they're kicking us out of serving God up here, we're going to go back to where the temple is and we're going to seek to serve God. And we see that that was something that had a very healthy effect even on the nation, but it keeps on saying it had that effect for three years. And even it talks about 
Rehoboam and how at first he he listened to God, um, but then eventually he abandons. Look at the beginning of chapter 12. It says, when the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. And, and so as we see that, uh, we see clearly there was some sense where they were doing okay for a while and seeking God, but then that was abandoned. And even it was abandoned when he was strong. And may that be a caution to us that when we think, hey, we've got some things in order, we're feeling safe, that's when we can be actually attempted to abandon God. It's not just when things are going poorly that we might be tempted to abandon God. Actually, it might even be more often that it's when things are going well that we're tempted to abandon God. And that's a good lesson from Rehoboam. Uh, next, let's go to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And here we see the story of this sinful woman who comes and is honoring Jesus by anointing him uh, with the, this oil and, you know, wetting his feet with her tears and anointing them. Uh, and it's clear she was a sinful woman. And so the, the Pharisees, they're kind of indignant at this. And Jesus tells that story that gives us the principle, hey, the one who has been forgiven much will love much. And again, the point is not that people with gnarly testimonies will love God more than people that grew up in the church and got saved without uh, some of those things. No, the point is, if you're really saved, you will realize you've been forgiven much, but the self-righteous Pharisees couldn't bring themselves to admit that. And I even thought of this as I was praying through this passage, as I thought of my kids And I thought, I don't want them to go out and just live lives of flagrant sin. I hope that never happens. But I hope they come to realize I am a sinner that needs forgiveness. And I can say I'm the one who's been forgiven much. And I hope that's something you can say today as well. Finally, let's go to Psalm 88 verses one through seven, and we'll get the whole sense of the Psalm as we finish it up on Monday. But here, and again, maybe this just encourages you that there are times where you might feel this way and that's okay. And the right thing to do is to go to God. In verse three, he says, my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. And if you feel that way this Saturday morning, well, you are not alone. And there is a God that you can take those troubles to and pour them at his feet. And I hope that you do that today. And this weekend, may we, as we think about God, seek, I want to be an imitator of God. And I want to be like him in love and in purity. And I want to live that out in my community. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.